You're listening to episode 15 of the Breaking Down Business podcast. Welcome to Breaking Down Business, a podcast produced on behalf of the Kent State Ambassador Crawford College of Business and Entrepreneurship by adjunct marketing instructor and CEO of All Good Marketing, Christopher Barnett. In this series, we connect listeners to our experts who share the latest on high-impact research and best practices in business. We bring relevant and timely business topics to you every other week. This is Breaking Down Business with your host, Chris Barnett. On this episode of Breaking Down Business, we hear from Ryan Balestro, Ph.D., Assistant Professor of Accounting at the Ambassador Crawford College of Business and Entrepreneurship. Dr. Balestro discusses how he brings his former experience as an auditor into the classroom, his research in the areas of organizational culture as it impacts audit quality, as well as his work with the PhD project. Dr. Ballestero, it's a pleasure to have you on the Breaking Down Business podcast. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, really looking forward to this. So I know you and I had the opportunity to talk quite a bit uh, as we prepared for this podcast, and you have quite an interesting academic and professional background. Can you share that with the audience? Yeah, I'd love to. So just as a little bit of, I guess this is more personal background on myself. I, I originally come from out West. I was born and raised over in Idaho. So don't meet a lot of fellow Idahoans over over here in Ohio. Um, but after growing up there, I, I went and got a, a bachelor's and master's degree in accounting uh, over at BYU down in, in Utah. Uh, after that, I did an internship uh, over in San Francisco, working in mergers and acquisitions and financial statement auditing uh, with Deloitte, and then went on to work for them full time back in Idaho in Boise. So worked with them for about three years in their audit practice. And so just a, a little bit of clarification for any of your listeners who maybe whenever they think of an audit are thinking of the IRS and taxes, that's one type of audit. But what I was doing and what is a, a big line that people can go into with accounting is doing audits on the financial statements of, of companies. So going in and making sure that numbers that they report either to investors or lenders or things like that that those are, are reliable and accurate. And so that's what I did for about three years in Boise, um, earned my CPA license while I was there, and then felt the call so, to, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So I was going to ask, that's for mergers and acquisitions? Auditing. So, well, so, yeah. So when I did my internship, I, I did some work in their mergers and acquisitions practice and did really, it functions very similar to an audit where you would do some due diligence over a company that's being acquired uh, to, to verify some of the information for the, the buyer of that company. And so that's what I did while I was in, in San Francisco. When I went back to Boise, it was generally just for a, your run-of-the-mill company just filing their annual report that they need to file with uh, with regulators or, or with their banks every single year, just reporting on their financial statement information. So their assets and liabilities, their results of operations for the year. And so we'd go in and, and just audit the numbers that they're reporting to make sure that some reliable information is going to the people who need it. Nice. Very cool. 
Yeah. So, so did that for about three years in Idaho uh, and then really felt the call to, to come back into academia, both for the opportunity to, to really just research and think about what, what I find to be interesting questions, but also because I just enjoy being in the classroom and enjoy the excitement of being around students who are building their own careers and, and getting started in their own lives. So went back to school and went to the University of Texas down in Austin and uh, did a PhD in accounting. So I was there for about five years to, to finish all of that up and then uh, just joined Kent State this fall to to get started up here. Well, very good. Well, welcome to Kent State. Uh, glad to have you here. So Thank you. It's, it's now, great. So you've had that practical experience that you're able to bring in now as an instructor to the classroom. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's something that I'm really hoping can be a, a strength both for what I can bring to the classroom uniquely and hopefully what students can get out of the classes that, that I teach. Um, you know, right. So, I know yeah. that the feedback that I get as an instructor it, uh, is that they like to, the students like to hear that those real world examples of, of, you know, work that I've done in the past. Is it the same for you? Yeah, absolutely. And and that was something that was really important to me coming out of my own undergraduate and, and master's degree before I went and started working. It was, it was a little bit of a, I guess, a little bit of a shell shock, a little bit of a transition for me going from the classroom into the real world. You know, you finish up in the classroom and you learn the textbook way that things run or, or that you think that they should run in, in the real world. And then you get out there and you find out that the real world's just a little bit messier in the way that a business is run or, you know, the way the, the accounting is done and, and things like that. And so, you know, hopefully by having some of my own professional experience, I can bring in, like you said, some of those stories that help to contextualize what we're talking about. So it's not just words on a page, but this is what's actually being done in the real world. So bringing in some of those interesting stories and anecdotes that, that contextualize it and also bridge that gap to help them see, all right, here's the types of things that you should be thinking about in order to be successful on your job. Or here's some of the things that you might see when you go out to your job. Right. That practical application versus theory. It's so, so important. And, and students really value that in the class. Well, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but I'm wondering if you have any examples, um, you know, practical examples that you do share in the classroom or or just kind of like the areas that you're able to bring in, the areas of uh, practical experience that you're able to bring in. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, for, for your listeners, I teach audit classes right now in, uh, in, in the undergraduate accounting program. So I'm introducing students to kind of the idea of what a financial statement audit is and, and what those processes are. And it can really easily get in the weeds of a lot of theory and background and, and things like that. But, you know, I, I try and bring in some of, some of the specific things that I've seen when, when I was in practice. So just in our, our last class session that we held yesterday, I was able to talk about a time that one of my colleagues at work didn't understand one of the processes that was important for our job and um, that we were talking about for our class period yesterday. And 
you know, how that that colleague not necessarily applying procedures the most correct way resulted in some real negative impacts on our ability to, to finish our audit on time and to be effective in the work that we did. And so that, I, you know, little examples like that, I think, help to show the students why something's actually important that you're not just teaching them something because it's in a book, but rather because it's something that you actually use out on the job. And then to see what are some potential consequences if if we don't learn this right and if we if we don't learn how to implement these skill sets. So trying to bring those examples in. Um, another area that I try and bring into the classroom is with auditing, for example, we learn a lot of skill sets, but don't always get an opportunity to talk about how we would specifically apply them. So a big focus in our in our audit classes is learning what are some of the procedures that we would do in order to perform an audit? So what would be some documents that we would look at or, or some uh, information that we would get to verify and to validate some of the information that companies report? Right, right. Very cool. So I'm sure I would imagine one of the other areas that you you bring into the classroom that a lot of students hadn't thought about is that idea of doing audits for something other than taxes. You mentioned doing the auditing for mergers and acquisitions um, in San Francisco. That's probably a whole area that many of them hadn't considered before and one that that's, sounds really exciting and um, um, a great opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you make a great point with that because that's generally what everyone thinks about when they hear the word auditing is is an audit on your taxes. And so it's it's been very helpful for me to have that experience to bring in into the class and to, to show them here are some different routes that you can go in a, in a potential career in auditing or where you're going to see these skill sets come up, whether you go and work as an auditor or if you just go and work for a company. All of these companies have to deal with the auditors coming in and, and doing that audit work and need to help the auditor get the information they need and, and do their work. So whether or not you're you're going into either side of things, if you're thinking of going into business, it's a, a reality that you'll want to have an understanding of and that will benefit you. Right. Absolutely. Now, you, um, you did some research into high quality auditing and how corporate, how corporate, corporate culture impacts that, um, and that that has significant implications on the stock market and investor relations. What have you learned here? Yeah, so I, I've coming into my own audit research, I've always been very interested in just understanding what are some of the things that determine doing a, a good audit or doing kind of a subpar job. And really what that, that means is if you do a good job, then You've done, you've done your, your work, you've looked at the information you need to give a good assessment of whether the information that a company is reporting is reliable. But if the auditors don't do as good of a job, they may have missed a lot more things. So really that's kind of what we're talking about when we put in the context audit quality, doing a high quality audit is really how good of a job did you do following all of the required audit procedures in order to give good assurance that the information companies are, are reporting can be relied on. Um, and, and the context of why that matters is, like you mentioned, for stock markets and, and things like that. People that invest in companies, invest their hard-earned money, a lot of those investment decisions are based on the information that these companies report, information about how profitable they are, 
uh, how well they're managing their assets and what sort of liabilities they have, what, what the future prospects of the company are. And so the auditor's job is to come in and validate the things that the company is saying so that when investors make these decisions, they can feel confident that they're relying on, on good information that, that represents the company well. And so one area of research that, I, that I've looked at recently to study what are some of the determinants of, of doing a good audit versus a bad audit relate to just the people that are that are doing these audits and the impact of, of the culture specifically inside some of these audit firms. So as a background for some of the listeners who may not be as as uh, um, in the in the know on accounting and auditing and things like that, uh, within accounting and, and the audit profession, there's really four big firms that we think of as doing the majority of audits for public companies. Um, and so we call them the big four. These are kind of the, the big audit firms or big public accounting firms that they're sometimes called the, that are doing all of these audits for the companies that, that you hear of in the news all of, all of the time. And so this is really where I focus my research on is understanding the culture inside some of these companies. And for some of your listeners who maybe are familiar with other uh, lines of work like investment banking or corporate finance or things like that, maybe accustomed to the idea that a lot of times these uh, financial service companies don't have the best reputation for a good work-life balance or, or a place that is easy to make a long-term career because of long hours and uh, some strict timelines and deadlines and things like that. So I really wanted to, to better understand what role the culture in these firms actually plays on, on doing a good job in, in performing the audits. And at the same time, just kind of understanding culture in companies in general. So some specific research that I looked at recently evaluates what these companies have done in order to support their employees who have different family needs. So specifically looking at parents with new babies, it was a policy that I looked at. Now these uh, results and the things that I find from this could potentially apply to a lot of different areas at a more general way. Um, but specifically, what I looked at is in the last five years, each of these large big four firms implemented a new policy that created something called equalized parental leave. And so in the past, when we've thought of parental leave, we typically think of, does someone get maternity leave? Or, you know, whoever is the primary caregiver for, for the child, do they get maternity leave? And for these large firms, they are aware of that and in the past have actually provided some really generous maternity leave policies. And while that has probably had some impact, economics research shows that even if we give really good maternity leave to moms, a problem we run into related to the culture in companies is that the mothers or, or the primary caregivers of, of these new children run into the struggle of knowing that if they take that time off, it could have some negative implications on their careers because there's all of these other people in the company who aren't taking time off when they have a baby or when they have other family demands. And so what economics literature started talking about recently is that we need to create a culture that sort of normalizes actually using that leave. And so in order to create that culture, these audit firms implemented something called equalized parental leave, 
where whether you're the father, mother, primary caregiver, secondary caregiver, you get an extended amount of, of paid leave and it varied by firm, but a lot of them were offering things like two, three or more months of, of paid time to, to spend at home with, with your new baby, to support your spouse and, and to have that family time together. And what these, these firms find overall is that this does make a big impact both on, on the fathers and on the mothers. And so it shows that that, that culture is, is really changing and that it's taking effect, that it becomes more normalized to take that leave and to be happy at your job, resulting in you staying longer, doing a better job overall. And then I carry that through and see that after they implemented these policies, the quality of their audits went up. And so we connect that to the financial numbers that companies were reporting were more reliable, less likely to have mistakes in them, things like that. And so it helps to show companies both in financial services, but other companies overall, the investments like these in your employees, in your culture specifically, can have far-reaching impacts beyond just providing something like a maternity policy that may not impact the culture overall. And so it creates some big economic implications. This is something that's in the news a lot recently. It's being discussed in Washington, this idea of family and medical leave or FMLA, if you may have heard of that. Right, and right. really this creates that implication that, you know, we need to talk more about what these policies actually look like. And something like creating an, an equalized situation where it actually changes the culture can create a much more effective policy overall. Right, right. That's it's interesting too how you differentiate the the, um, the the idea of that parental leave being available, but also normalizing it so that it's acceptable to use. I I know that in in my experience in the corporate world, if you didn't use all the vacation, well, for some people, if you didn't use all the vacation time that was afforded you, that was a bragging right, you know at the end of the year, yeah, I've accumulated so much time. I've been so busy this year, or I, you know, I didn't take any vacation this year. I've, I've been working so hard. Yeah, absolutely. It can become a real badge of honor to say how many hours you worked during the week, how little vacation you've taken, like you said. And things like this can help to kind of change that culture to saying, you know, we really do support you fulfilling the other needs that you have in your life beyond just working and, and right. as I as I found it made an impact on actually doing a better job as a company overall. Right. So it's a win-win. That's that's what the research says. And you know, <laughs> as, as an employee, those were certainly things that I appreciated. And you know, I, I definitely have to to tip my hat to, you know, these large accounting firms have tried to be on the forefront of adopting policies and, and doing things that are kind of on you know, the, I don't know if we'd say the cutting edge, but really kind of new to the business world and, and trying to offer things that, that can improve that. And so it's a great opportunity for someone like me who, who studies audit firms and studies auditing to ask these types of questions. Right. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on that research. And Thank you. Looking forward to more. Do you know what, what the future holds for your, your research projects? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the future's all over the place. I've got a few different projects that I'm working on. Um, I have one that's in, in the early stages that's in kind of a similar um, similar space. 
looking at how social pressures impact the, the hiring and promotion policies in, in these audit firms, um, as well as kind of who they assign to, to work on different audit jobs. And so specifically looking at some of the recent social movements, like the Me Too movement, for example, and seeing what effect those have had on actually making changes within these companies beyond just what we may be worried is, is lip service from, from different companies where they indicate support and indicate a desire for change. Um, but rather, let's see if, if there actually is change being affected by these social movements and, and then what that means for the audit world and for financial markets. Right. Well, I know we're getting near the end of our conversation, and one one thing that you uh, brought up I wanted to share with the listeners, and that's your involvement with the PhD project and the work that you're doing there. Can you share a little bit about that organization? Yeah, absolutely. So the PhD project is a nonprofit group that was founded really with the goal of creating more workplace diversity we've talked about and heard a lot about that, especially in the last few years, how we struggle in the business world to create opportunities for people with diverse and, and different backgrounds, especially cultural and racial backgrounds. And so the PhD project looked at that, uh, you know, X number of years back and really decided that one great way that we could get more diversity in the workforce is to have better diversity in our college classrooms. You know, social psychology research and things like that show that when we see people like ourselves in, in leadership or in the classroom teaching us, that that helps to engender a feeling of belonging and a, a feeling that we can go on and, and achieve our goals. And so this, uh, this organization, the PhD Project, really wanted to focus on improving workplace diversity by increasing the diversity of professors in the classroom and specifically focuses on on those uh, racial and ethnic groups that have historically been underrepresented. So specifically focusing on the Black and African-American population, the Latinx, Hispanic, American, Native American populations, and doing a bunch of outreach work, both to create opportunities, create awareness of the possibility of doing a PhD amongst these uh, different groups, and then also to support them and, and um, create a feeling of belonging for those that actually do go on to, per, uh, to pursue a PhD and, and have a goal of becoming a professor. Very cool. And what is the work that you're doing there? Yeah, so as a little bit of background as far as my involvement with the PhD project, I first became involved with them really when I was considering the idea of doing a PhD, just did some Googling and eventually found that there was this group. And so something I don't think that I mentioned earlier in the podcast is um, I have Hispanic American background. My father's from Costa Rica and uh, immigrated here when, when he went to college. Um, so, so have that diverse background uh, of my own. And so seeing that there was support and things like that was, was great for me as I was considering the possibility of, of earning a PhD. And so I reached out to them and was able to have some good conversations and receive some great materials from them uh, to, to help me in, in making that decision of whether or not a PhD might be right for me. And then once I did make that decision and actually started a PhD program, um, I, I essentially joined the PhD project as a student member um, and 
really, they just continued to provide support throughout my program, both in some conferences that they would hold every year to provide some tips for success and some mentoring and and those, those skills that kind of help you work through a program when maybe you don't have a family background or a lot of close contacts that can help sort of lead you through the, the process of, of going through a PhD. And so I got just so much support from them. It, it was such a family feeling to, to meet with these, um, these folks who, you know, were going through a similar situation that I was and had some similar diverse background that I did and, and seeing kind of where that made me fit in the, in the world of all of this. And so I had, had this great opportunity to, to participate with them. And now that I've actually received a PhD and I'm working as a professor, now I'm a faculty member of the PhD program um, and still receive some, some benefits as, as far as working in groups and receiving some mentoring support as a, a relatively new faculty member, but also having the opportunity to mentor and, and talk to some existing students um, and then when the opportunity presents itself, to be able to um, share information on the PhD project with students locally at Kent State or maybe some of the surrounding universities. And so it, it really is just this, this great organization to, to help folks like me to see that this is something that I can actually do and how my background could actually be a benefit for, for other folks who, who are trying to fulfill their own career dreams. That's that's great. Well, it's really been a pleasure talking with you today, learning about your your background, learning about your involvement in the PhD project, and the work that you're doing, um, the teaching and instruction that you're doing at Kent State University. So, for those listeners that are interested in learning more about the accounting programs at Kent State, where can they go? Yeah, absolutely. There's some really great resources. Uh, the college website has great information for those who may just be exploring the idea of it. All of the all the background and information on what's contained in, in the accounting program, what might be some career options and opportunities for those who are considering a career in accounting. That's a great starting point. Um, in addition, there are opportunities to meet for advising appointments where someone could sit down with you individually and talk through some of the potential opportunities you have and, and what might be the, the right major for you. Um, and finally, for, for anyone else who, who wants to connect further, you certainly can reach out to, to our department, which is on the, on the business school website, or your favorite professor like, like myself. I'm always happy to, to talk to and, and support anyone who's considering this a, as a potential opportunity. Well, very good. Well, thank you, Dr. Biastero. It's been a real pleasure having you on Breaking Down Business, and I look forward to seeing you at the college. Thank you so much, Chris. It was great to talk to you, and it's great to be here at Kent State. Awesome. Take care. You too, thanks. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Breaking Down Business. We invite you to listen to previous episodes of the podcast at kent.edu forward slash Crawford forward slash podcasts. Thank you for joining us for Breaking Down Business, brought to you by the Kent State Ambassador Crawford College of Business and Entrepreneurship, offering 11 undergraduate majors, a sales certificate, online and in-person MBA programs, graduate certificates, and a comprehensive PhD program. Learn more about the many ways to pursue a business education at Kent State at kentstate.edu forward slash Crawford.